Hello there, I'm Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition, and welcome back to another episode of The Naked Pravda. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, but today we've got a great show about the current Russian film and television industries, focusing largely on the effects of the invasion of Ukraine on Russian programming and the Russian box office. Longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I have a particular interest in movies and television, mainly because I'm a shit-for-brains American guy who watches far too much of it. And uh, typically it's the popular culture mush that leaves you dumber for having seen it, but I still love it. One of the most amusing things to me about studying Russia for a living is how many of the Russians I've met over the years who are as familiar, if not more familiar, than my fellow Americans with Hollywood cinema and major American and British TV shows. You can spend a lifetime reading poetry and the classics and have deep, insightful conversations with Russians, I assume. But you can also chat them up about Neville Longbottom's character arc in the Harry Potter movies, or whether season eight of Game of Thrones was as bad as everybody says. It was pretty bad, most will admit. After Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February, five Hollywood giants, Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony Pictures, and Paramount, all stopped releasing new films in Russia. Netflix, which was producing and getting ready to release multiple shows in Russia for the domestic market, also suspended all of its service there, and Amazon Prime has halted its streaming in Russia as well. All this came just as the entertainment industry was hoping to rebound from two years of pandemic shutdowns and audience concerns and so on. Russian movie theaters could be on the verge of a massive collapse, and the country's streaming services, seemingly poised for a major expansion before the war, are now scrambling to maintain subscribers by restocking their catalogs in whatever way they can and hoping for success with original programming. So what will Russians do for their entertainment now? I'd say that on broadcast television, uh, the like free-to-air channels, things are predominantly Russian. This Russian shows, Russian series, stuff that you have never heard of. That's Ivan Filipov, who currently works as creative executive at film producer Alexander Radyansky's development company, AR Content. I reached him in Tbilisi, where he now lives with his family, and I asked him what kind of films and TV shows are popular with Russian audiences today. Sometimes, usually in the evening on, I don't know, CTC or TNT, you'll see good recognizable and uh, internationally well-known uh, feature films, Americans, American films, British films, French films. You would rarely see a foreign television show mm. because as a rule, uh, again, Russian, you know, broadcast channels uh, audience do not like international shows. Mm. But uh, if you are talking about online, if you're talking about online platforms that has sprung over the years uh, in Russia, like there were five big players who all wanted to be Netflix. And then there was Netflix. And then there's Amazon. And then there is, what else? Netflix, Amazon, uh, and Apple Did TV. Disney Plus? Well, no, no, no Disney Plus, no HBO Max, mm. but Apple TV Plus, yes. So okay. there you would see generally every international TV show that you want to watch, all the new releases, uh, all the classics, and some original programming, some of which was good. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about box office, theaters, almost like, I'd say 85% of it was Hollywood. Mm. Okay. Well, maybe on a good year it was 80, but yeah. it's 
good year for Russians. For Russians, yeah. But this is what drove the box office. This is uh, bread and butter and, you know, a touch of caviar is uh, Hollywood, uh, not, not Russian films. You would have maybe, well, three to five extraordinary successful, commercially successful Russian films per year. Mm -hmm. Five is a good number. Five is a good year. Mm -hmm. You would have, I don't know, a dozen, maybe more the films that uh, performed adequately and, well, about two, three dozen films that failed miserably or just failed. Generally speaking, are, are there, t are there cer certain kinds of films and kinds of c TV shows that resonate the best with Russian audiences, the ones that do succeed, this handful of movies that, that actually turn a profit, are they typically sci-fi, drama, comedy? Are they about, you know, like sports or history or like... Everything Marvel, everything DC, everything, uh, you know, uh, James Bond, mm -hmm. uh, every spectacle, every Star Wars film, every big fantasy franchise. And what about the uh, Russian movies that succeed? Comedies tend to do very well. Uh, Russian so-called patriotic films mm -hmm. sometimes did very well, but uh, there's a fine line. Like there's a T34, which is a very predictable and very uh, by the numbers uh, Russian, you know, um, war film about the glorious past and the virtues of Russian nation that yeah. fought fascism, and you know, sure. which was basically like an action film with some propaganda motives yep. added to the mixture. Mm -hmm. And then you would have something like Zoe, a story of Zoe Kosmidimianska, which was not as uh, uh, big uh, and which was rather, you know, small in terms of budget mm -hmm. and which crashed and burns. Mm. So if you just show, I mean, if you use just patriotism, you won't make any money. The, the, the stuff that was propaganda, the stuff that Medinsky loved, didn't, I think, ever make any serious money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, it should have been a spectacle. I mean, you want to earn money, you need to entertain. Right. And Medinsky is not entertaining. And things he liked are not entertaining. I also asked Ivan how well Russians know their own art house hits, the sorts of movies that win fans abroad. Well, they're known to people who are interested in uh, good international films. They, right. I mean, I, I don't know. Dean Paul by Timur Balagov was on Barack Obama's top 10 films of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, we had, you know, Russian films got nominations for Golden Globe, Oscars. Right. Uh, we've been in Cannes, BAFTA, Andrew's yeah. film won uh, Cesar. So no, they were very well known for people who actually watch good movies. What about in Russia? Do they are they are they well known there? Well, if you're talking about known, yes. Did they make any money? No. Mm. Do good Russian films make any money in the box office? Not really. Mm -hmm. But this is this is I think it's important. I mean, like there's this whole conversation about do we need to cancel Russian culture uh, right now abroad? Mm -hmm. So the uh, it's not an answer to this question. I don't think I have one, but right. it's just something that you need to keep in mind. Everything that ever was Russian in terms of film that crossed borders mm -hmm. was always anti-state, always anti-Putin. Mm -hmm. Anything that was done to promote his message to for propaganda purposes never made it through the uh, uh, borders. You know, it could have been 
you know, relatively successful in Asia, in China, maybe sometimes, but never in the US, never in Europe. So, uh, no, the, the, the good films were well known because I mean, you would find easily hundred people who know who Andrei Zvagintsev is, or even know who Kantimir Balagov is. But out of this hundred, maybe five saw the films. The problem is that it used to be pretty much the same before, before the war. That's Lisa Surganova, the former editor-in-chief of Kinopoisk, which is essentially like Russia's version of IMDb. She's now the host of a podcast at Kinopoisk called Vprededushich Seriech, which translates to Previously On, where she discusses television news and various television series. I asked her what content dominates Russia's streaming services right now. So... Like the, the movies that did the best in our uh, national box office were Avengers or like, you know, big Disney movies, uh, big Marvel movies. And uh, the same with the streaming shows. A lot of them were shows from Netflix, from Apple, the Disney Plus hadn't come to Russia yet. So <laughs> uh, I think the people watched it online, but illegally. But, you know, all the, the streaming services that were um, like, uh, Game of Thrones also was a big hit because it was streamed in Russia. HBO had a distributor in Russia, yeah, right? Like Amedia or Amedetyaka. whatever. Amedetyaka, mm-hmm. it's actually, it, does, it, it even has the title Home of HBO, which they are mm. really proud of. Yeah. I don't know what, what's going to happen to it now, <laughs> but anyway. Are they still carrying HBO content right now? Uh, they carry the old content, but they right. didn't release the new series. And they actually, there is like a... Um, uh, just a few days ago, I saw on Facebook, some of my friends posted, you know, like I mean, I could just posted a poster for the upcoming, the upcoming um, uh, Game of Thrones prequel, House of Dragons. And they just posted a poster and no way they would do that without the, uh, the rights. You know. So maybe something is going on, but uh, for now they stopped releasing new episodes and actually Kinopoisk as partner of Mediateca also didn't get any new episodes. So mm-hmm. some of the series, like for example, our flagman's death uh, on Kinopoisk and Mediateca is stuck in a way that, you know, they released two episodes and then the sanctions hit and HBO told them that they would mm. not give them new episodes. And you can see only two first episodes and then it's I like, see. you know, the new series are not got, the new episodes are not coming yet. Right, right. And a lot of series are like stuck in this position. But uh, also in Russia, th- there was a trend um, in growing interest for national content, for national regionals and streaming, uh, streaming services. And uh, a lot of them were actually quite popular, like those released by Kinopoisk. Like just now, uh, they released a TV series called Zero Patient about the first HIV patients in the Soviet Union in the end of the 80s. And it's extremely popular. But when you're talking about this popularity, you should also take keep in mind that you don't have any uh, new foreign TV series, any, any Western TV series coming at the same to time. To compete with. Yeah, yeah, to compete with. So in terms of the Russian content that does well, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the, I don't know like contemporary Russian TV or, or movies that well. So you've mentioned there's this, there's this show that's somewhat modeled on Chernobyl that, that addresses like the big state lies of the Soviet era. Is that a genre that's like very popular among 
Russians? Because I mean, I, what I'm aware of are like Pasredni Bogatir is like this like action comedy family kind of friendly movie. Like that's big. That was a big success at the box office. That's true. Yeah. Comedies and reality TV seem to be pretty popular in terms of like entertainment on television. Like what what are some like are there genres that that dominate in on TV and in movies, or is it kind of like random it just some some things succeed and it's not totally clear why is are there are there trends in terms of like for instance like hollywood has like it's in a superhero moment right now there was like a zombie movie moment like 15 years ago like it goes through these like bizarre kind of like trends and waves is there anything like that in in russian entertainment yeah if you're talking about the last decade not like the specific moment because as i told you the specific moment is quite different because everything has changed so abruptly yeah. that it's actually uh, the the, com- the movie companies are releasing anything they have, like anything they have ready, and yeah. most of those movies are like B uh, B rated comedies. Mm. So yeah, they they get some money in the box office, but it's just because people don't have any other choice, and it's mm-hmm. it's the problem. <laughs> but before before the war, the most popular genres were again superhero movies, yeah, and uh, big sci fi movies like. Uh, Dune or mm. uh, or like Russian sci-fi movies as well mm-hmm. and um, comedies also like the I think the biggest hit in the box in the national box office was the movie called Halop mm-hmm. it, uh, it got released like in the end of 2019 just before the pandemic and it was a huge hit and it's a like a comedy of uh, you know of a young guy who is like really obsessed with himself and doesn't really know how to behave so and he's a rich guy so his father sends him to some kind of like um punishment village and he (laughs) wakes up one day and he realizes that he's like in the 19th century russia where the the how do you call it um peasants the, and the, the peasants yeah and the peasants and the is he actually uh, in the past or is it just everyone pretending no no it's kind of like uh, the truman show for yeah, him, yeah, yeah just yeah. to kind of you know like uh right. <laughs> for him to change his behavior sure. and he does change it and oh, then he becomes uh, a guy who serves in this uh, kind of punishment camp which I is see. a really crazy idea but it yeah. was hugely popular yeah. And, uh, you know, like big family movies like right, this. Right. And also Vasledny Bogatir, which is also a big family movie, but it was uh, released and made by Disney, by Russian uh, uh, Disney office. So I don't know what's going to happen to it next. Do you have any sense of how how much like Disney, I know Disney, con- like they contributed a lot of money to that movie. Right. Was it just that they gave money and, and helped helped like promote it or was there, did they do other things? for that movie as well. I think it was like a Disney production in Russia. So like every, well, I mean, they don't have a studio like Disney studio here, but uh, of course they yeah. uh, worked with other studios and production companies on this. But you know, if, if you ask people in the, in the market, if you ask people in the industry, they would say it's a Disney movie. So like mm-hmm. it's Disney money right. and it's everything. Marketing is Disney yeah. and it's their idea. And it was born in, in this office. So most of people in the professionals in the industry suppose that it will be the future, like co-production, uh, and especially with the uh, U.S. companies, because they got, they know how to to do business. So that's why everybody was dreaming to get to Netflix or uh, something. That's Igor Isayev. 
a Russian filmmaker and TV and film researcher who now lives in Berlin. I asked him about the significance of Hollywood money becoming available to Russian movie studios through co-production and distribution deals, and what it means that that money is now gone. I remember that последний богатырь, the last night. So he got uh, something about one billion uh, rubles in the box office. So that was uh, a record yeah. for that year. So basically, a lot of people were trying to make their co-production mm -hmm. and uh, not just with the uh, US, but also with European countries. For example, a, a lot of documentary film production were productions were trying to cooperate with uh, European colleagues on mm -hmm. TV channels, for example. Do you have any sense of how the Russian entertainment industry has responded to the loss of its distribution deals with like Hollywood production studios? Like just in terms of like what's playing in movie theaters now, like what's showing on Russian TV besides news stuff? Like are they, are they still able to show Hollywood production content or they've, have they switched to like Iranian soap operas and Indian Bollywood stuff? Like what's, what's, has there been a, has there been, has it changed? Yes. Um, uh... The thing is, like, uh, there are a lot of things. So the first one is that they are trying to to screen the classics. Uh, so maybe you've heard that they run the Blabanov movies and some uh, Tarkovsky movies, uh, like, months before. Uh, one, the second trend is to put money in the Russian film production mm -hmm. process and to get uh, twice more films next year. Yeah. And the third trend is to, to screen actually Hollywood films. Mm -hmm. But somehow, I don't know, is it a piracy uh -huh. or not? Because <laughs> like Russian cinema theaters now are telling that uh, actually, uh, Disney and Warner Brothers, uh, they avoid the law, they went away. So yeah. we are do doing uh, legally to screen the, like, the films. But the thing is that they tried to screen Batman and it got only a fifth or sixth position in the box office. So it wasn't a disaster, but somehow we can call it uh, that way. And why, um, why do you think it didn't make that much money? Is it just it wasn't on enough screens or it wasn't dubbed well or like um, Russians now don't want to watch Batman? Or like, what do you, what do you think the... Time passed. Yeah. So that the, mar the marketing was done. So nobody nobody oh, knew, oh. knew about it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And like, uh, for example, uh, international premiere was uh, in March or something. Right. And so now we got June. Yeah. Uh, that's why all who want to see that movie... Do it download it already. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> so, and of course, uh, you mentioned about the uh, Iranian films and uh, Indian films. That's true, actually. Now I heard a lot of things that Russian producers are trying to buy uh, the TV uh, series uh, films from Turkey, China, mm -hmm. India, and Iran. Yeah. So that that will be probably the solution for that VOD services mm -hmm. and for international box office, uh, I mean, international screen screen companies in Russia. 
And uh, maybe you've heard that uh, like two days before maybe or something, the international, the Moscow International Film Festival announced a new way of how they will the program, the festival. Uh, and uh, they say that uh, they will discover new lands. Okay. Uh, so that's curious because it, uh, uh, it's somehow similar with that old post-colonial discourse, mm -hmm. but uh, still goes in some other direction. So now they are trying to uh, say that uh, uh, European and US market uh, actually look only to themselves and so russian film industry will discover all other world so uh, we need to see what what will happen do you have any sense of how audiences are responding to the changes i mean like does it matter if they're getting netflix stuff or they're getting bollywood stuff like do Rus russians just want to have something to put on or, did, or is there a genuine love of stranger things and you know Top Gun or whatever. Like, what do what do people? What do Russians actually? I mean, you said that the it was Hollywood movies that dominated the box office. If you swap out Hollywood for Bollywood, do Russians care? Will they go to the movies less, or will they go to the movies the same amount? Like, what's your expectation? Yeah, like we see the loss of the market to seventy five percent comparison in compare to the previous year. Mm. So they do care. Yeah, and uh, if you want to. You know, like uh, Bollywood is a special, uh, special production, special film production. Mm -hmm. So I'm fond of Indian movies, mm -hmm. but the thing is that the um, uh, narrative and the stage playing is differs uh, from the European and American directing of films. So, and how the audience is watching the films. So that's why probably we can say that like, uh, Russians will enjoy that movies, but it will take years, you know, to understand the montage, the mise-en-scene. So it seems to me that before that cinema theaters will be in ruin. What about uh, in terms of, of funding for Russian television and films? Is it is it mostly private funded in Russia? Is it mostly Ministry of Culture funded? Like in terms of sources of money for making this content, where where do most people find it? The big part of it comes from the state, and there are two two organizations that give you the money. One is the Ministry of Culture. And it gives money mostly to like uh, festival movies or art house movies or you know those kind of like small budget movies. They the idea is at least was to support the um, uh, the culture right in the movie industry. And uh, the other one is called Fond Kino, the cinema fund, mm -hmm. which basically um, it's more of like an economic enterprise in terms that it gives you money and then it expects you to give at least part of it back. I see. So it's an organization that uh, funds the, t the cinema industry, but it only funds the successful or at least the projects that they it believes in. Yeah. And uh, they had like the system of funding um, like 
leader companies, they were called, like the big production companies. And they would give them more money because they they showed like very good results. Uh, and then they would support some small companies. And then some, some it's a difficult system. Some companies, sometimes you have to give some money back. Sometimes you don't have to give anything back. Sometimes you give, you have to give like a lot back. And right. there were also some lawsuits that they uh, started because some companies didn't give them the money that they were supposed to give. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one part. It's like the state uh, funded um, thing. Uh, there is one organization that appeared like a couple of years ago, also state funded thing. It's called um, Institut Razvitya Interneta. And it, it's more about streaming services. So they get a lot of money to produce content and it's mostly youth oriented content. So it's an idea that the government, the, the state has to win back the young audience. So they have to you know, to make some content for them, like popular content. I think this year they got like 50 billion rubles, uh, 15 billion rubles uh, for this, like for producing some content Mm -hmm. for the streaming services. And it's a lot. Uh, And uh, they were becoming one of the biggest um, players in this industry. And now I think they will be even bigger because (laughs) they still have their money and the others, uh, like the commercial uh, businesses, are losing it. And uh, it's a big problem for, for everyone. But also, there were a lot of private money, mostly from the streaming services. Some of them are also state-affiliated, of course, like Anamge, which is uh, basically run, run by Alina Kabaeva and like some friends of the president. Uh, but others like Start or Kinapoisk or Oka were less state of, although Oka was also, was also part of Sberbank, which is the biggest state bank uh, in the country. Or like Evi, which was the biggest uh, streaming service uh, up until, I think, last year. Uh, so they had private money, uh, like the money earned with their subscriptions or like, you know, kind of invested in them by someone, like by Yandex. Yandex invested a lot of money in Kinopoisk, and Kinopoisk then could produce some uh, some expensive shows. Uh, so this is the private part. And also there was um, a fund uh, by Raman Abramovich, Kinoprime, and it was also kind of like not really big fund, but mostly for funding those uh, festival movies, you know, like uh, Srebrenikov or someone else. And that's why actually Kirill Srebrenikov supported Roman Abramovich in, in Kant's festival, because he said, you know, he supports us, the people of art. And that's true, actually. Abramovich really invested a lot of money in, in Russian art. But yeah, <laughs> the West still has some uh, some questions. <laughs> Sure, sure. So it sounds like Russia has its own streaming wars. Like they very much. Yeah. 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 And it was a booming market and was actually like on the rise. And people around me were talking, you know, like five years ago when I came to Kinopoisk, it still didn't have its streaming service. And it was like a dream, a utopia, and no one Mm -hmm. really knew would it be successful or not. But then when we started it and then it became to grow and and then quickly we realized that it's actually the only way to earn some money that the advertisement uh, industry is declining like everywhere in the world i guess and that the subscription the idea of subscriptions and you know business model based on subscriptions is actually much more successful and stable and 
people trust you with their money if they get good content from you. And it's a problem now because a lot of streaming services have less and less to show. So it sounds like the Russian streaming services, they were able to turn a profit, but there's now a worry that a lot of that was dependent on having catalogs full of Hollywood content and American television. Yeah, and actually getting new movies, like catalogs are still there for now, for now at least. So Right, but they if they're not being updated, people are has it reluctant yeah, to keep Yeah, but like I told it. you the 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 problem with HBO, if you don't get new shows then what's the point in yeah. to, in uh, being a, sub, a subscriber of Mediateka in the end? Right. Right. In terms of the box office in Russian in the Russian film industry, is it possible that the state will just swoop in and dump more money on the on the industry? And so, even if like people aren't buying tickets to to keep the business afloat through market economics, it'll just sustain itself as a subsidized business. Okay, this is a tricky question because <laughs> there are a number of answers I can give. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a rational answer, okay. which is ra speaking rationally. I believe right now. There are about a hundred different things that the Russian state should be thinking before they will be thinking about saving movie theaters. Yeah. That the like serious economic stuff going on right. that needs to be addressed yeah. before saving your, you know, local sets. Yeah. That's a rational thing. Then there's a practical consideration. Um I believe that right now, uh, well, we all know what happened to the independent media, right? I believe that the same thing will gradually happen to movies and uh, TV series, something that was uh, originally planned for platforms like Inapoisk or Oka or Star, something that they will develop as the time goes by. I believe a Russian state will very soon realize that there are only as many people you can get through Russian television channels. Mm -hmm. Because there are people like me who never watched Russian television. There are younger generations. There are people who never just, they don't turn t the TV on. Right. And propaganda will need to find ways to uh, get to them. And movies will be considered a primary candidate for that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of money will be stolen and a lot of money will be allocated. And I believe we will see, well, in the next year, maybe a dozen or so, new films about Ukraine, about the glory of Russian, you know, weapons, liberating Mariupol, some shit. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that not everyone in the industry will take the money, but some will, and there will be movies like that. And you need theaters to screen these movies. Right. So... Probably they will try and save it in some way or form. But the most important players on the theatrical markets were private ones. No idea what will happen to them. Maybe they will buy out. Maybe they will go bankrupt and mm -hmm. the state will buy out their theaters for peanuts. Maybe they will be nationalized. I mean, you can rule anything else. Yeah. And right now, it is so chaotic and so unpredictable that, again, you can generally guess which direction this might go but and you can guess the shape of things but not much more it's so fucked up uh -huh. it is so fucked up it was like russian movies were 
going to be still Russian movies, but Russia was on the brink of making a serious headway in terms of TV series. There were the platforms that ordered new content and it was good. It was starting to get good. Yeah. It was like next 10 years, we would have seen great Russian shows. Mm. Not anymore. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, we discussed Russia's changing film and television entertainment industry. You heard from Russian filmmaker Igor Saev, AR content creative executive Ivan Filipov, and Kinopoisk podcast host Lisa Surganova. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa. It's our only English-language show, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Also, if you value Medusa's reporting whether in English or in Russian, or both, please consider making a donation at support.meduza.io slash en to help sustain our work. Recurring pledges help the most, but we'll take whatever you can spare, obviously. Thank you for listening, and come back soon. Mm-hmm.